you for that. Lord, not, it, it, it is just grace showered upon us. Sinful man. And Lord, we just come to you. The Father, through Jesus Christ. How beautiful it is to be, to be not seen as guilty and, and depraved anymore, but through the lens of righteousness, we are seen as clean. Lord, our Father, it is just a blessing to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. To come to your table that you've invited us to, to have fellowship with. And to just praise your name. What a blessing to our own soul to be able to do that. Lord, we thank you for the cross and what it means for us. We're thankful that, that Jesus bore the wrath instead of us. We could never stand up to it. So you sent a way, the way for us, the atonement for our sin. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Lord, we pray this in your mighty name, the saving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Good morning. They say I'm difficult to hear, so I have to use the microphone. I don't buy it for a minute, but that's all right. Hey, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper first this morning rather than at the end of the service. And I know there's a lot of new believers amongst us. Amen for that, right, church? So maybe they're wondering, why do these folks celebrate the Lord's Supper? Why do they use the term celebration? Well, church, it is a celebration what we're about to do this morning. It's a celebration of what Jesus Christ did for us. It's a celebration of the new life that each and every one of us was given. But it's a somber time as well. It's a time when we remember the wounds that he took for us so that we could have joy and peace and a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So I just want you to meditate on that this morning, church. The cost. Because Christ expects us to come to the table with hearts of repentance with hearts full of mercy, and he expects us to come to the table as those who know who we are in Christ and how we're supposed to live. This is not something we do lightly. This is something we do with joy, but also with a somberness. I'm going to ask the men to distribute the bread.
Church, if we'll imagine for just a moment that you hold the body of Christ in your hand, if you just look at it and just imagine the wounds that were taken upon his body for you and I, and just remember, church, just as we remember his wounds as we come to the table, that he remembers your wounds. He remembers what you're going through. He knows what is hurting you. He knows the pain because he's been through it. So as we lift him up this morning, church, as you hear each crunch of the cracker, know that just as he was wounded for us, he's with you during your times of struggle. He was in the upper room, and he said to the 12, take this bread, this is my body, and it's given for you. Whenever you do this, whenever you do this, remember who I am. Remember me. Let's take any church. Father, your son's life was so precious to us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask the men to distribute the fruit of the vine for us this morning. Oh. 
Some of you may be in a place where you feel a little bit unloved this morning. Maybe you feel a little bit burdened by the stresses and difficulties of this world. I want you to look at the cup that you're holding in your hand, and I want you to imagine, if you will, church, that this is indeed the blood of your precious Savior. Though it is symbolic, imagine that this is his blood, and imagine the worth of what you have in this cup. Imagine the value of what you have in this cup. Imagine the significance that this Blood in your hand was shed for you to prove one thing, that you are loved. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, gathered around the table with the twelve, and he loved the twelve. And he knew that they would be separated for a time. And he said to them, what we're about to do with the cup, I will not do again with you until I do it in the kingdom of heaven until I see you again. But when you do this, church, he said, remember me, never forget me, know that I love you, and love me. Church, let's take and drink together and remember our Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for willingly dying for us. We thank you, Lord, that we now have the opportunity to live for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Good morning, FCC. It's Ben Griffith, and with the help of several others, I'll be taking and leading a trip to South America this summer. Several years ago, the Lord placed a burden on my heart to reach the unreached people groups and encourage the persecuted church around the world. But being a Delaware resident with uh, no clear calling to full-time missions work, I wondered how that would be possible. Uh, so I started talking to different missions organizations to see if there might be a chance to partner with them. Uh, and I also looked at business at missions uh, or as missions, BAM, as it's called. But in both instances, I felt like my, uh, my business development uh, just didn't give me the bandwidth to take on a project of that magnitude. So fast forward to COVID, I felt like the Lord dawned on my heart an idea that would enable us and me to achieve that in an indirect way, starting small through short-term missions work. Though it's unlikely that we would be in direct contact with, you know, with either one of those groups, the persecuted church or the uh, you know, unreached people groups, we will most certainly be in contact with people who are in direct contact with those groups through family and friend connections. So we see this as an open door to share the gospel, be a blessing, and we pray that it will have a ripple effect and impact lives far beyond what we could expect. Also, having been on five 
short-term missions trips, I understand the impact that it can have on us as a team who participates. And it's our prayer as a team that we would grow in our faith, that our eyes would be more opened to the needs of others, and that we would become bolder in sharing the gospel with those we meet both locally and abroad. Please pray for our safety, uh, for the opportunity to, uh, to share Christ with others, to come alongside other Christians uh, in the body of Christ there to be an encouragement, and uh, we would really appreciate that. Thank you for your support. Well, there's some very exciting things about that mission trip that we uh, are happy to share with you today. Uh, we have our team here. We're going to ask them to come up front and we'll pray for them. Uh, but also, uh, we are at this point, we're at 92% funded for a trip that's still two months out before leaving. So thank you all for your generous support. We're, we're looking to raise around $20,000 for the, for the team, and, and we're almost there. Any extra money that comes in would go toward the, to the missionary that's there and to the work that's being done. As our team goes, they'll be taking, uh, taking part in women's ministry, children's ministry, a soccer ministry, street evangelism, so there's a lot going on for them. So I'm going to invite them to come up, and uh, I'll introduce them as they come. This is Brian Gibson and his sons Ben and Patrick. Yep, Susan Young and Hannah Cessner, Debbie Wilkes, and then we have Lori and Stephen Hewitt. And John is going to come up. John Young has, although he's not going, he's been a part of the planning of this. And so um, we're going to pray for them as they go to South America. And John is going to pray for them right now and lead us. So let's uh, join our hearts with him as he prays for the team. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for these team members and their willingness to journey to another country to share the gospel with the lost. We pray for your divine protection and safety throughout this trip. Go before them and prepare their, their way. Let lives be transformed and minds open to the truth of the love of Jesus. Let there be an internal impact for the glory of God. Amen. Well, welcome back to our service, our services and our sermon series on the biblical importance of church. I hope that so far you have gotten the feeling and gotten the teaching that it's not just about being at church, it's about being a church, coming together as a church built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles under the, the leadership of elders, gathering together weekly to pray, to worship the Lord, and to hear his word being preached, and then practicing as we seek to fulfill our purpose to equip everyone for spiritual maturity and fruitfulness. And that's why we're, we're gathered here today. So today we're going to continue this, and we're going to talk about the topic of giving. Oh, I expected a groan to go across, and a dark cloud to descend upon the congregation as I say that word. We're going to talk about giving today. Let's just get the awkward stuff out of the way. I'm a senior pastor. I get paid by the church. The church gets money from... Yeah, I know, I'm sorry about that. And so it makes it so weird that I have to talk to you about giving. But a couple of things that I just wanna to touch base on so, so you understand. I and none of the staff here knows what anybody gives. We don't have access to that. We don't want access to that. What you give is private between you and the Lord. The only ones who know in our church what you give are the people who count each week and then our bookkeeper who at the end of the year sends out a receipt for your giving. The other thing that I, I want to just make sure you know that, that although the staff is paid by your giving, our, our salaries don't go up and down as you give. So like if you can't give this week, you don't have to feel bad like I'm not going to eat dinner or something like that. I'm, 
Everything's okay, we're, we're, we're good. The other thing that I, I feel like I need to acknowledge is that here I am gonna talk to you about giving, but have you seen the notice in the bulletin? We are way ahead of our budget. Your giving is so generous, it's way ahead of our budget. As I said, we're already you know, nearly fully funded for our trip. When we raise money for our missionaries, we give an astounding amount. You are generous, generous givers. But because giving is a, a part of our fruit and a part of spiritual maturity, it's, it's important that we spend time talking about that. Because today is not, not necessarily talking about that you have to give more, but it's about the heart with which we give. That's what we're focusing on. So that's the awkward part. Now in order to help us feel a little better about this, we're gonna start with a game. So the game is called Name That Recipe. All right, name that recipe. So I'm gonna tell you the ingredients, you tell me what we're making. All right, Rice Krispies, marshmallows, and butter. All right, all right, we started easy. Okay, a Delaware favorite, Jell-O, pretzels, strawberries, and Cool Whip topping. If anybody wants to take this home after the service, please come and get it, I never touch the stuff. All right. All right, we have flour, sugar, baking powder, eggs, and all right, sugar cookies. There you go. Good job. Good job. All right, and this might be a little harder. Okay, so this one, we start with chopped meat. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to have meat up here. Breadcrumbs, parsley, lots of garlic, meatballs, meatballs, and grated cheese, and a meatball. Right, right, right. So what we see with this is that there's sort of this principle that's going on that's what you put in, you get out. If I put in marshmallows and Rice Krispie treats, you don't expect to get meatballs right? You expect Rice Krispie treats. And, and things work that way kind of in life in general, right? What you put in, you get out. If I'm going to invest in a relationship, well, it's probably going to be a good relationship. If I'm going to invest, you know, $1,000 at 5%, I'll get whatever that equals at the end of the year, right? right? What you put in, you get out. What you sow, you reap, that's just a general principle. So you might be a little concerned as we look at our passage of scripture today, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter eight. It says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in, in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. So let me give you the context here. There's a church in Jerusalem and the believers in that church are very poor, extremely poor. Well, the church in Corinth heard about that, and so they made a pledge to give to their fellow believers in Jerusalem. Well, when the church in Macedonia heard about Corinthians' pledge, they got all excited about it, and they decided they were going to give to Jerusalem as well. So Paul is writing the letter here because at this point, the Macedonians gave but the Corinthians still hadn't given. So he's saying, hey Corinthians, your, your pledge to give so inspired and moved the Macedonians that they gave. Now let the fact that they actually gave the gift inspire you to actually send your gift off too. So that's the context of this. And so what we find though here is that it really doesn't make sense. If we think about this as a recipe, right? So, so here's a big pot, and I'm going to put in here uh, trial, right? Some trial, oh, but it's 
it's severe trial. Oh, it's actually, it's a very severe trial. And now I'm going to add, uh, let's see, I'm going to add some poverty to it. So I'll put in a little bit of poverty. Oh, wait, it's extreme poverty. I put that all in a bowl and I mix it up. I put it in the oven. And what should I get out according to our principle? I should get out heartache, sorrow, burdens, difficulties. But what comes out is rich generosity. That's what doesn't make sense. How are we to explain that? How do we explain how this happens? So we're going to jump ahead a little bit to verse nine, or to chapter 9, verse 6. And it says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Did you get the all, 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 and every good work? As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is one of the most abused and misused verses in all of the Bible. There are many teachers out there who treat this in a way that is not intended by the scriptures. And although it's hard to do this and it's awkward to do this, I'm going to share some of these with you, some of some speakers and what they have said. And I want you to know I don't do this in any mocking way. I am not mocking other speakers, but I feel it is important that as a part of the pastoral staff here that we expose untruth. In fact, we even say that in our, in our commitment with one another, in our membership covenant, that we will expose the truth. And so I want you to hear some quotes from some people you may know. The first is Benny Hinn. Why don't you make a financial vow to the Lord right now if you're facing a problem and watch what God will do with you? You'll see a miracle happen quickly, supernaturally. Sow the seed and watch what God will do. Do you get the motive here is give so that you'll get a miracle. You only give for that reason because you want a miracle. Our next one comes from Creflo Dollar. He says, harvest responds only to seed, not to prayer, not to fasting. Whatever the harvest you need is what you sow. If it's money you need, you have to sow money. Until the seed is sown, the harvest will not be, is not in view. And the next one is from T.D. Jakes. I started giving on the level that I put God in debt. Can you imagine? I put God in debt. I started giving on the money I wanted to make, and God had to open up the windows of heaven and bless me because he wasn't going to be in debt to me. Next one. Joyce Meyer when you give, you get a receipt in heaven. Then when you have a need, you, you can then go with your receipt and say, you see God, I've got my receipt from my sewing and now I have a need and I'm cashing in my receipt. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I, please, I am not mocking here, but it truly, it do, it's sad, it doesn't make sense. What's the next one? Kenneth Copeland. And now is the time to call for the return on your tithing and on your giving and on your sowing over the years. Call for it. You have a right to it. It's laid up in your heavenly account and it belongs to you and no one else. And then we have Joel Osteen. Every time you give, you are lending to God and God knows how to repay you. Nobody can pay you like God can pay you with the finances you need to fulfill your destiny. Robert Morris, generosity begins with a G. Selfishness begins with an S. God is generous, Satan is selfish. You have to wonder 
what he thinks about the intelligence of his audience, his adult audience, with that kind of a statement. And then this last one, Steve and Carmen Lynn are not as, as famous as some of those names, but this sort of sums it up. Your seed is a bridge into your future. Your seed has the power to go in and rearrange what would have been financially and become something much bigger and greater. You will always reap. This is so sad. This is not at all what this Bible verse or what this passage is talking about. And I, I, again, I feel bad exposing them, but, but I expose them because it's not just one, one statement. I mean, you could, a few weeks ago, I, I accidentally said Queen Elizabeth was the queen of Israel and King Charles was the king of Egypt or something like that. You could quote that and say I'm a false teacher, right? Okay, but it's not characteristic of me to keep saying that over and over. These false teachers, and I say false teachers because this isn't the only place that they're in error. They don't speak the whole truth. And you need to understand that. And maybe you have even given to them and you should not feel guilty because you are among thousands and thousands of people who have fell prey to their gimmicks, and, and it, look, they prey upon the generosity of Christians. For them, the recipe is, you give to me, and God will give back to you. You see the triangle that they've made there, it costs them nothing. You give to me, and God will, God will take care of it. I don't have to do anything, and it's wrong. It's wrong. Their tactic is to appeal to our need for a secure future. We all need that. We all want that. We all want to know that, that you know, tomorrow, the next day, five years down the road, I'm going to be secure. I'm going to have what I need. And so they appeal to that in order to build their own kingdom. The problem with that is that what we see in this passage is very different the giving in this passage was not to a church's program. It says that their gift was a service to God's people, not a preacher's program. The believers in the church of Jerusalem were suffering in extreme poverty. And the believers in Macedonia saw that and they were so moved that they gathered out of their own, own poverty, gathered a gift and sent it to Jerusalem. They were moved by compassion. It was their heart of compassion that God gave them that, that inspired them to, to give and to move and to, to, to share what they had. And you get the sense that, okay, that was a financial blessing, but the attitude would have worked itself out in any way. Let's just say the, the Jerusalem church, the preachers, the teachers, the pastors were put in prison because of what they were teaching. You get the feeling here that the church in Macedonia would have said, well, they need, pre well, let's send our preachers. Get rid of them. Send them over there so that they can be blessed by the preaching. We'll do without for a while. That's the heart that they gave with. They weren't looking for obligating God. They weren't looking for a financial return. They simply gave because they had a heart for the suffering of other people. What a beautiful Beautiful motivation that is. So verse, verse six says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And the word sparing here is literally stingy. So it's not talking about the size of the gift. It's talking about the heart. So whoever sows with a stingy heart will reap with a stingy heart. And did you notice that this passage, there, there's something missing in here. Paul never reveals the amount that they gave. He could have. He knew what it was, but he never revealed the amount that they gave. In fact, he doesn't reveal to us the amount that we should be giving. And he doesn't even give a percentage that it should be 10%. And I know some of you afterwards will want to come to me I said this in the first service and nobody did. So some of you will want to come to me and say, well, you should have talked about tithe, that we need to give a tenth of our gross or maybe it's just a tenth of our net. We don't even know. And it, that, that tithe is different than gifts and offerings. So when you give to missions, it should be different than what you give to the general fund of the church, blah, 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 all that. And my response to you will be, the Lord is interested in your heart. It's the heart. It's not the size of the gift. It is your heart that he is looking for in all of this. And think about this. 
I, I, I love this. Well, actually, let, let's move on to verse seven. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, it's about the heart. Giving is not to be a law or a formula or an obligation or a recipe. Giving is to be come out of a heart of joy and out of a heart of cheer. And the word for cheerful here literally means hilarious. We are supposed to be hilarious givers. So as you're leaving and you're putting money in the box, you should be laughing out loud. Well, that feels a little awkward, doesn't it? But that's what's supposed to be in our hearts. We're supposed to give hilariously. And you know, that's what changed the recipe. I conveniently left that out. Remember I said that for the Macedonians, what went into that recipe was severe trial, very severe trial, and extreme poverty, and we mixed it up. But there was one more ingredient there that I left out. That was overflowing joy. See, that changes the recipe. I put overflowing joy in that combination, in that formula, and all of a sudden, now it wells up to rich generosity. That's the difference. That's the ingredient. That's what we need. We need to be overflowing. And it said that their, their joy was so overflowing, it, said, it used these words, it said that they urgently pleaded for the opportunity to give. Can you imagine severe poverty, severe trial, and they're urgently pleading with Paul for the opportunity to give. That's not reluctance, that's joy. So I wanna share something personal with you today. Uh, whenever I preach, I, I seek the Lord and ask, Lord, help me to apply this so that as I stand up here, I'm practicing what I'm preaching. I don't wanna be a phony, I don't wanna be a hypocrite. I want God to work in me first and then be able to teach you out of that. So an obvious thing for this was, okay, I'm gonna increase giving. So Denise and I talked about it and one of, one of the organizations that we support, we decided we were going to increase our giving. And so I called up the organization and I said, I would like to increase my monthly tithe my, or my monthly giving to you to this amount. And the problem was that the amount that came out of my mouth was $10 shy of the amount I had planned to give. I'm not sure why it came out, but I kind of ran with it. She thanked me for being a generous donor, blah, 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 hang up. And I sat there and I had to think and pray, Lord, why did I do that? What was in my heart that I felt like I had to hold back some of what I thought I was going to give, some of what I planned to give? As the Lord worked on my heart, I realized, you know, I was giving in to that, what if I need it? What, what, what about me? I've, I've got to make sure my future is secure. I, I'm going to hold on to that $10 as if $10 would make a difference. I wouldn't even miss $10 a month. I know some here, that might be a big deal. For me, it's not. $10 a month. So the Lord worked hard on me, let me tell you. So I called them back up and I, I, I said, look, I, I want to change the number. I didn't confess and admit to them that I... <laughs> They just thought I was being more generous than I was an hour before. But uh, anyway, we'll leave that at that. But you see, but you see, could the Lord have provided the $10 for that organization through somebody else? Absolutely, right? He didn't need me to do it, but he wanted me to do it. And would I really miss that $10? No, I'm not gonna miss it. But you see, the whole thing was about me and my growth and my heart it's God working in our hearts about giving. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. The Holy Spirit continues to teach us, and he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's a reward, abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Let me stop right there. It says, God is able to bless you abundantly. He is able to bless you abundantly. 
it doesn't guarantee that he will. But it says he is able, and that able, I believe, is conditional on our heart attitude as we give. See, God responds generously, but hear me clearly. He never promises financial blessing, financial return. He never promises that, that if I give 10, he'll give 100 back. And of course he doesn't. Think about this. Is God more interested in the, the value of things in this world or in things of eternal value? Of course, eternal value. That's where his heart is. He's most concerned about my eternal condition, not whether or not I can buy this or buy that today. He's much more concerned about that. And so the rewards, it says, are abundant blessing. And he defines that abundant blessing by saying we will abound in good works and have a harvest of righteousness. He says that if we sow our seeds, then God, who supplies the seeds, will increase the store of seed and enlarge, enlarge your harvest of righteousness. So let me ask you, let's come up with the definition together here. What is seed in this passage? Is seed something you gather and hold, or is seed something you cast out and get rid of? Cast out, right? We don't hold seed, you, you broadcast seed and you spread it out. Well, he says that if you give your seed generously, then he will reward you with more seed. Well, wait, more seed? That doesn't reward me with more stuff that I have. He rewards me with more opportunities to give. See, he rewards generosity with increased generosity. That's what this is all about. He's not about filling our reservoirs and then letting out the water when we're filled up. It's about being, being a, a, a conduit. It's the more, the more I give generously, the more God gives me the opportunity to give. And he actually says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Do you get that? You will be enriched in every way so that you can have a lot of money. No, it's so that you can be generous on every occasion. We give and God rewards us with more generosity, opportunities to be generous. That's how God's economy works. It's different than the world. The world says, if I, if I store up, if I put it in the bank, if I invest well, I'll have a lot. And if I give it out and give it away, then I have less. So that's what the world says. But scripture is telling us that God's kingdom principles work differently that God's kingdom principles work this way, that the more I give from a generous heart, he's going to give more opportunity to be generous. And we will get a harvest of righteousness. So let me come back to my story. Think about my $10. My $10, if I had, if I had kept that, I would have $120 at the end of the year, and at the end of 10 years, I'd have $1,200 plus interest if I put it in the bank. It would be less if I invested in the stock market, but that's beside the point. But I would have that $1,200, but my reluctant heart would miss out on the eternal blessing of continued generosity and the harvest of righteousness that he prepares for. Now, you've heard me say in the past that giving takes faith because when, when you give on a Sunday morning, you can think of a lot of good things you can buy with that money instead of giving it. But this week what the Lord did was he kind of tweaked, tweaked that for me and, and changed, changed it. He, he put a new nuance in that for me. Giving takes faith, but what I would have bought is worthless. It's worthless. It's not going with me. I can't do anything with it. It has value here, but in light of eternity, I'd rather have an eternal reward. That's what takes faith, is knowing that our eternal reward is actually better than our earthly reward. Can I trust that? Oh, that's gonna be a continual work for me, the Holy Spirit working on me. So those good things then are really worthless after all. So Jesus, the, the other thing that I wanna say here is that Jesus actually modeled 
this kind of giving himself. This is beautiful. He even used the same analogy in talking about himself. He says here, very truly I tell you, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their, hates their life in this world will keep it for, e for eternal life. So Jesus is using the same principle, but he's referring to himself. He's saying, I am the seed, and the seed that I'm going to sow is myself. And this is the gospel. He died, he sowed the seed, he died, and his reward was not that he became rich. His reward is that from that come many seeds. Well, who are those? Where are those seeds? And so we are to reflect that same giving spirit that Jesus had. Jesus was the seed who, who was buried and, and planted out of him comes all of the seeds of his followers, and we give in the spirit in which he gave himself. That's why we give our money, we give our homes, we give our, 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 uh, our time, our energy, all of that we give because that's how he gave. And then there's one more reward that we wanna see in this passage. I'm just gonna read the first, first bit of this. Very truly I tell you, unless a current, oh, the next slide please. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. You get that? So when you give, when I give, it results in thanksgiving and praise to God. What a beautiful thing. We, just uh, uh, several years ago, a man came to me with, with a couple of jars that were filled with money, and he said, I've gathered this together and I want to give, to, I want to give it to somebody, but I don't know who to give it to. And so I thought about that, prayed about it, and there was a person that I gave it to. And it wasn't until just a couple of weeks ago, the man who received it came up to me and he said, you know, a long time ago, you gave me some money in jars that somebody gave you to give. By the way, those are the easiest kinds of gifts to give when I didn't have to do anything to it, right? <laughs> but, um, and uh, he came to me and he said, you know, that very morning, I said to my wife, I don't know how we're gonna pay this, it was a bill. And he said, and you called me and you said, somebody has a gift here for you that I wanna to give to you. And he was still four years, five years, I don't remember what it was later, still praising God. You see, our giving results in praise to God. That's what this passage says. When we give, others give thanks to God. So we, we cause people to worship the Lord through our generosity. So I wanna finish up here. Preaching a message about giving can be scary because it's easily misunderstood. So I wanna, I wanna just finish up by stating clearly what we learned in this passage. This passage showed us that sharing our financial blessing, gave us an example of sharing financial blessing with believers. That's what this passage was about. It wasn't about sharing with, a, with somebody's earthly kingdom or, or ministry, it's about sharing blessings with other believers. This passage shows that it provides us with an example of believers who gave out of a compassion for others, not because they were promised a reward. This passage does not promise that God will give you a financial reward, but it teaches that God is able to bless God is able to bless and delights to bless you with the eternal riches of greater generosity and a harvest of righteousness. This passage reveals that God is more interested in our heart attitude being generous and cheerful or hilarious and eager than the dollar amount or the percentage given. This passage shows us that others will praise God when we give generously and cheerfully. And this passage, this principle, this God kingdom economy works on everything. It 
not only works in money, it works on our time, it works on our energy, on our care, our love, our help, our possessions. When we give generously, God will give us more opportunities to give and a harvest, an eternal harvest of righteousness. So some things that this passage does not say. It doesn't say that you should neglect the needs of your family in order to give. It doesn't say that in order to be really spiritual, you must be poor. If God has blessed you with wealth, praise the Lord. It's a blessing from God. Enjoy it. But be generous with it. This passage doesn't teach us to live without a budget or be sloppy in the way we live. And this passage doesn't teach us to accrue debt in order to give to others. That we have to be responsible. So I want to leave you with this. You see, what this passage really teaches us and what the Holy Spirit has for us today is that we don't want to be a reservoir that fills up with water and then when it's filled and starts overflowing, we open it up and let a little bit out. Now, okay, now we can close it back up. That water fills up, fills up almost overflowing and we let a little bit out again and we close it. That's not the heart of giving that the Lord is looking for. The Lord is calling us rather than being a reservoir to be a river a river through which God sends his blessings through me to others. That's how we're supposed to live. And when we do that, he blesses us with more opportunities to give. That's why it's not a, I'll give so I can receive. It's a, I'll give because I wanna continue to be generous, Lord. That's, that's where your heart is, that's how you gave. And that's how I wanna give. And so we give like a river. We wanna be a conduit for God's blessings to others. Let's stand together now and I'll dismiss you with, with a prayer. Oh Lord, you gave your son so generously with no promise of return. Clearly, what you got back was nothing in comparison to what you gave but Lord, we are the benefits of all of that. Work in our hearts, Lord, today. Work in our hearts that we would have a heart that is generous like you, a heart that desires the things of, of eternity more than we desire our own earthly possessions, a heart that trusts that if I seek your kingdom first, that all the other things will be given to me. Oh Lord, May each person here be a river flowing with your love, your blessing, and your generosity. And may we see the blessing of increased generosity and the blessing of a harvest of righteousness that you promise us. Oh Lord, we go out now with that blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us this morning.